never be discovered. He passed through this world but once, and may have nothing else in the course of his transit that will ever concern posterity. But the newspaper was still lying there on the seat when Simon Templer hailed the cab on German Street behind Fortnum and Mason's, within which Epicurean supermarket he had just concluded a transaction involving several thousand sturgeon eggs, and thus has a fair claim to have been the starting point of this adventure. Simon Templer had long ago given up trying to predict where adventure would come from. His only certainty was that he could never escape it. He would stumble upon it, or it would trip over him, but one way or another they were fated to come together by the same kind of destiny that had ordained, perhaps as a symbol for that afternoon, that Mr. Fortnum should be forever linked with Mr. Mason. There had been an era long ago, admittedly, when Simon Templer had gone more than halfway to meet this agreeable doom. With an imagination as unlimited as possibility itself, he had set out on his hunt. His territory was the world, and his prey the two-legged predators who fattened on other men's toil and hopes and sufferings. Extortioners, swindlers, racketeers, every manner of human parasite that crept on the scalp of the earth— and especially those who had burdened themselves with a weighty enough load of ill-gotten gold to warrant the attention of a man of Simon's expensive tastes. But while a fair share of the wealth he rescued from the coffers of the ungodly found its way into his own bank accounts, a large proportion of it ended up back in the hands of its original rightful owners. This fact, combined with Simon's penchant for extra-legal action and his contempt for the creaky wheels of due process, had caused some historically attuned pen-pusher to dub him the Robin Hood of modern crime. The comparison was apt, but another shorter and more mysteriously ambivalent soubriquet had attached itself to him very early in his career, and had soon all but replaced his real name in the public mind. It was a nom de guerre— heard by detective officers and bandit chieftains with equal unease. The Saint. More recently he claimed that he positively leaned sideways in a noble effort to avoid trouble, but with no more success than an unskillful matador attempting to evade an educated bull. Their mutual karma was bigger than both of them, and that afternoon where we came in was a fair sample of its working. Having directed the driver to take him to the Hilton Hotel, where he had no more nefarious objective in mind than the inhibition of a cool, quenching rum punch in Trader Vic's air-conditioned basement, the saint pushed the abandoned newspaper out of his way and settled back to relax while he was ferried through dense shoals of rush-hour traffic. The newspaper lay ignored beside him as he crossed his legs, folded his arms, and watched the crowds rushing along the sidewalks in a last-minute push to spend as much of their money as possible before the last shops closed, or to catch a homeward bus or train before everyone else with the same idea got ahead of them. Even among those elegantly draped, though unseemly hurrying, West End throngs, Simon Templer had stood out as an extraordinarily well-tailored, handsome, and striking man. His six feet two inches, honed to balanced perfection through hard and steady use, set him above most of his fellow creatures in stature as well as in fitness, and his blue eyes blazed in his tanned face with a magically startling translucency. Even the way he carried himself was unusual. 
somehow combining the urbane poise of an idle aristocrat with the quiet, watchful readiness of a jungle fighter. Nature's lavish kindness to the saint included the visual acuity of a jet pilot, and also burdened him with a ceaseless curiosity about everything that it took in. Long before his taxi turned from Piccadilly into Clarges Street, his eye had been caught, during the cab's frequent pauses in the inevitable jams, by those hand-lettered, forcefully worded broadsheets which London's newspaper vendors hang on their small red or yellow stands. There was such a journalistic entrepreneur on almost every corner, an invariably afflicted-looking man in stained cap and shapeless shoes, and ordinarily the saint would not have found his imagination stirred by even their most lurid promises. He could pass by cigarette tax shock without a glance. Dock strike chaos was such a commonplace that it would have blended indiscernibly with the pavement and the shop fronts. Even au pair girl murder. Picture.